can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell 'em that God's gonna cut you down. Tell 'em that God's gonna cut you down. Tell 'em that God's gonna cut you down. Well, good morning, church. My name is Joe. I'm the next gen pastor here. It is the last day of July, my, yeah, right? Last day of July, it's the end of my birthday month. I am 35, I turned 35 a couple weeks ago, which is crazy to me. Uh, but when I was 29, I did what every adult should go out and do, and I bought a house. That's typically what you do. Um, I was 29, and I went out and got this house, but it was one of the worst houses you could buy. Uh, it was a house that I bought online. <laughs> it was like a government bidding house, so it was a HUD house. Uh, and it was a complete gut job inside and out. The only thing that was good was the front door, the roof, and the front porch. And so it was definitely weird. Uh, just to put in perspective how bad this was, this house had abandoned for five years. I think it was actually over five years. Overgrown brush, all that stuff. Uh, it had tube and knob wiring, and no air conditioning because it was built in 1899. Literally, I was opening up walls and finding stuff from 1930. It was crazy. Uh, the second floor was bowing because all the pipes burst. And so you would go through and you would see all these pipes um, that were just gone. The whole outside was rotting away. Uh, it was all wood lap siding, so it was just horrible. And then on top of that, it was a historical home. So I think we actually have some pictures. We got a couple of pictures up there. So you can kind of see there's kind of what it looked like a little bit. Uh, it just, it was a nightmare of a project. So it was a historical home. That meant you had to go through a board and it was just, they didn't like some 29-year-old coming in and, and, and getting this house. And then even on top of that, my next door neighbor hated me. He didn't live there, but he owned the property next to me because he lived there all his life type of guy and these young guys coming in and he thought I shouldn't put the washer and dryer in a certain room. He just weird stuff, right? One of the worst projects of my life that took 14 months total nightmare. And then people come over and see the house today as it is, and they go, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Like, what, what, like, this is phenomenal. Uh, and I just, early on in the, in the process, I would tell the story, and then, you know, you get tired of telling the same story over and over and over. Uh, and so the stories always got a little bit shorter. And as people came in, they were like, how did a youth pastor pull this off? That, that type of, of idea. And they would always ask me, like, did you do like a lot of the work yourself? And my answers were always like, yeah, I, I did a lot. Yeah, I did most of it. Or like, yeah, I, I did a lot, but I, I knew some people. That type of answer. But in reality, the, when I went to go get the house, everyone told me not to buy it besides one person. 
Uh, it was my brother-in-law, Chris, and he was like, yeah, bro, we can do this, no problem. And he said that because he was the contractor. He's like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this for you. I had no idea how to sister up beams. I had no idea how to uh, make a toilet spot that had a beam on it. I had no idea how to resupport a second floor and what even that, that looked like. I had no idea what walls I could take out and what walls I couldn't or were supporting. And he, he came along, and he, I had no idea that I had to re-subfloor the whole house. I Just no idea a lot of this stuff. And he came in, and he helped me, and he, he did a, a year just with me on this too. And then I had a friend, Brian, that early on in the project, I specifically remember two of the first weekend, I'm on a Saturday morning right before I have to head into work. I had like three or four hours. I'm trying to tear up a kitchen floor. But what they decided to do in this kitchen was just put floor over floor over floor over floor. And all I had was a hammer and a little tiny crowbar. And I remember doing two hours worth within like two square feet. And, and Brian saw my, my car in the driveway. He pulled up and we pulled up the floor in five minutes. I just remember like before him coming, like crying, just like, what did I get myself into? And then also Brian went on to do the whole wiring of my whole house. Like just, yeah, yeah, we'll just do it. We'll do it together. I just need you to pull wires. I'm like, sure, let's do it. And so we went on to do that. And then I had a former brother-in-law who owned an industrial heating and cooling. He just gave me an air conditioner and a furnace. Like, yeah, just pay someone to install it. And then I was getting quotes on plumbing, and, and I didn't realize how much plumbing is until you actually own a house. And I was getting quotes. I'm like, that's not in the budget. That's not in the budget. And a friend from a friend, a guy came in, and he saw how distressed I was, and he helped me out. And I remember demoing the house. Uh, I would have Facebook posts like, come on, grab a hammer. Let's, you know, come and help because it was all plaster and lay. And so you had to literally crack every single piece of the wall off. And I remember having all the friends and the help being able to come and, and help me. Justin even gave me four hours. He said he got there and first five minutes he wanted to leave. So he, he, he didn't realize what he was walking into. And then my sister-in-law designed the whole house because I'm not good at that. And sure, I did a lot of work on the house. Spent a lot of late nights there. But it's inaccurate for me to say, like, yeah, I, I did most of the work. There's been so many things in my life that I've taken the credit for that maybe I shouldn't have. I'm sure you maybe can relate to this. You know, I, you, you get the dream job at the place your parents work or your dad's college roommate. You got the house with the small loan of a million dollars, right? You passed the test with the help of a roommate staying up all night. I think of my house, I, I think of the hard work, but I just mentioned all the other people that helped me succeed. I think it comes down to this, that when we have a lack of understanding of the, the source of our success, it allows us to see ourselves as a much bigger deal than we actually are. Like, we want to recognize, be recognized for the work that we did to put us in the situation that we are in, but I think our natural bent is to take all the credit, is to take everything, when really it wasn't all you're doing or all my doing. And when it comes to our faith, I think we do this with God. 
We have a natural bent to take God's credit. This is why I, I, I love my wife, and this is not the only reason why I love my wife, but I love my wife because this year we did a, a big milestone in March. We were able to pay off the rest of student loans, and it was a huge deal, and I, and I was ecstatic, and I was like, yeah, we did it. I remember hitting enter and like, yeah, and then my wife looks at me and goes, Joe, it wasn't you. <laughs> and she goes, it was Jesus. And of course, I don't like hearing that, right? Because it was sacrifice. It, it was hard work. And then she comes in and goes, it was Jesus. And she's done this to me like almost every week for, since we've been married. She always reminds me, Joe, why are you taking the credit? Because even as a youth pastor, even as a person that works at a church, I need to be reminded and recognize that without God, I couldn't do anything. I think we all tend to take, the, take credit from God sometimes. I think there's people like, man, why is your marriage so good? Well, we know each other's love languages. We read Gary Chapman's book. We have each other's Enneagram number down. She's a one-wing two. Uh, we say sorry, and we never yell. That's why, you know, our marriage is good. Or how about this, like, how did you fight off that illness or sickness? Or how did you deal with that, that family member that was ill or whatever was going on in that situation? And, and sometimes we're like, well, we took the vitamins, we, hit, we saw this doctor, we got transferred over here, we got prescriptions, or I stayed focused on myself, I thought positively, I thought about the future, I thought about the kids. Or how were you able to build that business? How did you get such good grades how did you overcome that addiction? It's very easy to let pride, to let ourselves think we're, that we figured everything out on our own. We kind of all find ourselves in that situation at some point. And when we do, and when, when the, we take all the credit for ourselves, we, we do become prideful. We do think of ourselves as a much bigger deal. Sometimes it affects our relationship with God. We miss out on the bigger picture of life or the bigger picture that God has for, all, for us. And we, we think we're a lot cooler or stronger or more powerful than we actually are. Today, as we kind of wrap up the series, we're going to be talking about Samson. They give, of course, the youth pastor the VBS stories, right? So we're going to be talking about Samson. Samson experienced some of those consequences. I think he's such an interesting story because as we read about him being a judge, he did almost everything wrong. And you, you'll, you'll kind of hear some of his life uh, as a flyby. He did a lot of things wrong. He was led to be a judge, to lead the, the nation of Israel out of the oppression from the Philistines. But we see that in Hebrews 11, he makes the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11, 32 through 33, it says, And what more shall I, shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and, and David, and Samuel, and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administrated justice, and gained what was promised. He made the hall of faith, and people recognized him for his faith. But let me tell you a little, bit about, a little bit about Samson. The first thing you need to understand about him, that he was a Nazarite. 
Basically, what that means is that you were, uh, at some point in your life, you, you made the decision to devote your life to God, and it was always for a period of time. There was a start time and an end time, and you, you kept three things. The first one was that you wouldn't drink alcohol, and back then it was wine, and so you wouldn't even drink grape juice, anything that perceived as, as alcohol. So you basically drank water. That, that's all you had. And so, and the next thing is you wouldn't touch a dead body or a carcass because you would be considered unclean. And then you wouldn't cut your hair or shave your head at all. You would let your hair grow out until the vow was done. And so that was Samson. That was kind of under the conditions that he was living living in. And we see that Samson actually broke all three of these throughout his life. And the first thing that we kind of introduced with Samson is that he kills a lion with his bare hands. And then not only that, but later he comes back to the carcass and he pulls out honey where bees made a nest. And he gives it, and he doesn't just eat it himself, but he, he gives it to some of his parents, like the most unclean thing you can do. And then we see Samson, he doesn't obey his parents. And Samson, he, he had one of the biggest egos you could think of. He goes, you know, his parents are like, listen, we're, we're Israel, we're, we don't marry outside of Israel. Like, and he goes, no, I'm, I'm going to marry this Philistine woman. She's right for me. She's good in my eyes. Like, this is the woman that I'm going to marry. And, and totally just doesn't ignore his parents' guidance. And then he throws a big festival uh, for their marriage, and during this festival, this kind of reception, he makes a gamble with the Philistines. He's like, listen, he gives them a riddle that has to do with the honey and the lion, and he goes on, and he's like, you got seven days to figure it out, and if you know the story, the wife begs, please, 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 the Philistine woman, so she can go and tell the other, uh, the Philistine men, and she gets it out of them, what the answer to the riddle was, and then it's like, okay, Samson, pay up. They betted 30 garments of clothes. And so what does Samson do? He goes out and he kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes and goes, here you go. Here's your debt. So this is the judge we're dealing with, right? And Samson, after the, it must have been a period of time that left, and he comes back and he finds out his father-in-law gave away his new bride. And it's like he gets all mad. He catches 300 foxes, ties them two by two, takes a torch, lights the torch on fire, and throws them in the grain fields, lights up all their food. Like, here you guys go. The Philistines are so mad. And so Samson goes to Judah, which is one of the the tribes within Israel. He goes and hangs out, and the Philistines, 3,000 men come looking for him. And Judah, this is Samson. This is their judge. Judah's like, listen, we got to turn you in. They're standing here. They're waiting for you. And, and so uh, Judah ties up Samson. Samson willingly goes and, and gives him over to the Philistines. And as soon as he gets there, breaks the rope. This is the weirdest part. He finds a donkey jawbone. It's fresh. So apparently a donkey died at some point. Picks it up and kills a thousand Philistines with this jawbone. And he just goes off. And then at the end of it, his response is like, God, I need water. And so God provides water. And then we see Samson reign for 20 years as a judge and kind of delivers Israel from the Philistines. Why? Because they were terrified of him. I mean, this guy killed a thousand people with a, a jawbone of a donkey. 
And he goes on and he reigns. This is the type of judge we're dealing with. This is the type of person. Wasn't a person that you would find praying every day. Wasn't the person that was super submissive. Like Samson must have let his, his strength go to his head. He had a giant ego. Because you look at other judges in the past, and, and they would raise up armies. You would see some awesome leadership. Uh, they would go out, and they would take a, a people and, and face another nation. Samson did it solo. And he goes out, and he rules Israel for 20 years. And then we get to the end of Samson, where we're going to uh, kind of read this story. It's a Judges 16. We're going to start in verse 4. It says this, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him in to showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Like, they want to know this. Now, here's something interesting about Delilah. She was in this valley that was right between the Philistines and Israel, and Delilah was a Hebrew name, but a lot of people would say she was definitely Philistine. She, it, it, it's kind of this weird, like, she had a Hebrew name. She was Philistine. She was right in the border. So she, she probably had... No, no dog in the fight. Like, she was just kind of, yeah, what, whatever. And so you kind of see the Philistines approach her and offer her money. And it gets a little bit crazier from here. In verse 6, it says, So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become weak as any other man. Verse 8, Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. Now, just to put it in uh, maybe younger terms, Samson was really simping over this girl. Samson was head over heel. Samson was whipped. Samson was controlled. Basically, he wanted to be with her. And then she was getting mad for him not telling her how to subdue him so he could get turned over to the Philistines. Like, it's this messed up dynamic of a relationship. So Samson's head over heels, and we see him kind of manipulating the, the, the relationship. I think it is like he's not going to tell her exactly how he can be subdued because he wants to stay with her. And then we see Delilah like manipulating the relationship to figure out how to get some silver. And so it's just this really messed up mind games going on. And we continue, it continues to happen. And then it says, listen, you need new ropes that have never been used. That's how it's going to work. And so the same pattern happens over. Samson, wake up. He's tied up. She ties him up. Samson wakes up. Wake up. The Philistines are coming. And that doesn't work. And she gets mad again. And then he's like, okay. You know what? You got to braid my hair, weave it together, tighten it, and put a pin through it. 
And guess what happens? It doesn't work, and she gets mad again. Like, this dude is using her. She is using him. It's not pretty. And this guy is the guy leading the nation of Israel. Not, not Like, that's just a picture of him and who he is. Verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you? Dropping that bomb, right? Like, how can, what is she thinking? How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said. Because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. So she tricks him again. She makes him fall asleep. With his head in her lap, she shaves her head. It shaves his head. And my, my questioning is, I'm kind of reading this, is like, does he actually know where his strength comes from? Like, does he actually know if she shaves his head? Like, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, does Samson, like, was he testing God? Was Samson testing Delilah? Like, if you really love me, you wouldn't do this. Is he testing himself? Saying all the power is from me anyways. I don't need this stupid hair because he broke all the other ones, right? The carcass. You know, the wine, the celebration at the wedding. He, he broke them all. And then Delilah yells, the Philistines are coming. The same pattern happens. He wakes up, and in verse 20 of chapter 16, he says, he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before and shake the, myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. Samson had a lot going for him. He was a judge. He was strong. He was probably even good looking. He was feared. But he was only all those things because God made him those things. Every single week we talked about God being with the people. That God would fall upon his judges. God would raise them up. God would sustain them. God would provide a way. And then we see in Samson's story, God left him. Something to understand about Samson is that he was a Nazarite, and I explained that. But for a Nazarite to truly be a Nazarite, the person that was making the vow would, would decide to be it. And it would always be for a period of time. It would always be like, until my firstborn or until the end of the year, and I'm going to take this vow. If you're interested, check out Numbers uh, chapter 6 for all the details uh, on what that involves. But Samson was different. In Judges 13, verses 4 through 5, it says this, Now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink. This is talking to Samson's uh, mom. Drink no wine or fermented drink that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son who's Head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistine. Samson was God's pick. Samson was set aside by God, and God was the one who was going to uphold the vow. 
not Samson. You see, Samson delivered Israel in some weird ways with all his flaws. He, he helped deliver Israel by killing 30 of them for their garments, right? Through a selfish bet. He, he, he burned their grain with foxes because he, he didn't like how the Philistines uh, and how the outcome of his first marriage happened. He didn't like that, so he burned all their grain. He killed a thousand of them with a donkey jawbone because they were trying to get him. He ruled with fear, and I think Samson started to take the credit. In fact, he did take the credit because every time Samson's strength would enter, we read in, in three different places in Judges, it says this, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him in Judges 14, 19. In Judges 15, 14, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. You see, through the life of Samson, it was, it was always God. But then the Spirit leaves him. Samson gets captured. His eyes get gouged out. And he, he kind of gets paraded around by the Philistines as like a trophy. And the most interesting thing uh, about this is they have a guy, like it's, it's described as like a boy or a teenager, guard him by the hand. Like if you're guarding someone that had that much potential by the strength, you wouldn't guard him by the hand, right? Because here's the fun idea. Like Samson probably didn't look like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He didn't. Because the whole time they're trying to figure out where is why where is his strength come from? Like if, if the rock was up here, and I love the rock, he's awesome. If the rock was up here, you wouldn't question if he was strong or not. You wouldn't question that because you would see it. You're like, oh my goodness, like he's giant, he's a mountain. And so Samson, on some levels, was probably a normal sized guy. And they were trying to figure out where his strength came from, how they could subdue him. Like they knew something was special about him. And then when it left him, he was guarded by a kid by the hand. That's the position you find himself in. They can't see. We kind of see the end of Samson's life. And out of all the judges, Samson, even though he has a messed up life and he lives this kind of just this weird judge's life, he finishes well. Because a lot of the other judges, you see how they kind of finish and how they rule, and it's kind of like a little iffy, a little questionable, but we see something different with Samson. Judges 16, verse 27 through 30, it says this, Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there was about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, please. God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward one central pillar on which the temple stood, braced himself against it, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers of all the people uh, in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he li- lived. It's kind of this one time within Samson's life 
where he acknowledges where the power comes from. And something about God, and this is just a little side note within this, but we see God's grace. We see God's willingness and grace being poured out. We see the God who created him, the God who set him up apart, the God who called him out, and the God who strengthened him, allowed him those things because Samson acknowledged where his, his power came from. Samson at that point realized it was never him. It was God. He had to come to a point uh, in this magnitude for him to realize that. Just picture if Samson understood that the whole time as he was a judge, as he was a ruler. Imagine if he acted in that way and he understood and he gave God all the glory, but he let his pride get in the way. He let his passions get in the way. He chose other things. He decided he knew best. He wanted what he wanted. And in some ways and how he acted, we do the exact same thing. When things are well, when we succeed, when life feels good, we take the credit. In fact, we, we almost see sometimes no need for God. Or we start to do things our ways, what we want, what we think we need. And, and when we lo- live life long enough that way, the more we think it's us, or the more we think it's you, the longer you think it was you, the harder it is to discover it was God all along. So where do we go from there? Here's my challenge for you guys. And uh, I just encourage you to just take some time, journal, or or just have a, a deep thought about this, but list out all the things that have been going good for you. Every good thing in your life, that new job, Maybe the new house, the good grades, the degree, the friends you met, the friends you have. Your kids are healthy. You're proud of them. Your marriage is good or it's improving. Your finances look good. You're in a good situation right now. And then give the credit to God. Give the credit to God. This will help us practice giving credit to God. I can hear Leah R.A. saying saying it, it, it's, it's not you, it's, it's Jesus. And then, on the other side, if you're facing difficult times, unsure about the future, the hardships have hit, the sickness, the bills, the family drama, the marriage, relationships, recognize it's God who is the one that will sustain you. He's the one that can help you. He's the one who gives us peace. He's the one that can change everything. This helps us to depend on God. This helps us to show us where we need God to show up in our lives. And so as we wrap up this series within Judges, here's some kind of final thoughts about the whole series. Israel had continual self-destruction of themselves, of God's people. And I believe that if we aren't careful, we'll fall into that same pattern. As a church, as family units, as individuals, we'll fall into that same, same pattern. And so looking in and also looking at other judges along with Samson, I look at Samson and I go, man, he made Hebrews 11 the hall of faith. Clearly our definition of faith has very little to do with how good we are. 
That faith was never about what you did or how well you did it. It's what we put our belief into. It's what we are putting our faith into and our trust. And so my question as we read Judges is what are we putting our faith in? What do you put your faith in? What do you trust? Because you look at Israel and you go on to Samuel 1. After all these judgments, after Israel being delivered from from all the surrounding nations, they still begged for a king. They begged for a king. After God was their king, God ruled, and they screwed up so many times, they still didn't get it. Go on to read Samuel 1. And it's never the way God wanted it or designed it, and they begged for a king. I think sometimes we can fall into that same trap. That even though maybe I think Samson, within his faith, was very cultural. He's a nation of Israel. Faith in his culture was just one. But I don't know if he had that personal relationship with God. I don't know if he even cared. I think it was just something he did and he felt like he had to do until the end. And he recognized that it was God sustaining him the whole time. What are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your faith in? Let's pray. God, you are amazing. God, I, I just pray if there's anyone in this room that maybe have been putting their faith in the wrong things or taking all the credit and all the good things um, that you've been doing in your life, that God, I just pray that you would just open their eyes to show them it's been you all along. It's been you trying to get their attention. It's been you sustaining them. God, I pray that you would just be our king and that we would live that way, that we, we can look to you for promises. We can look for, to you for guidance when we need it. We can look to you for healing. We can look to you uh, for providing. And so Jesus, we just pray that, I, I just pray that as we walk out of here today, that we would just be reminded of where our faith is and that it's in you and you alone and in your son and the work that he did on the cross. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate everyone out here today and uh, we'll see you next week.